In this episode of Photo Work, we continue talking with media makeup artist based in LA, Tanya D. Russell, where she shares some amazing stories of working with Death Row and Brittany. Brittany. Yeah, check it out. What are your biggest pet peeves? So, so many. <laughs> so many pet peeves. Um, well, gosh. I think probably, I mean, again, there's like a little minute things like, you know, a client hires me and then it takes them forever to send me like the information so I can prep for the shoot. Stuff like that, that a lot of people go through that's ultimately not that big of a deal. It's, you know, fine. But like on the big pet peeve tip, I think that a lot of people are more concerned with developing their brand than developing their craft. Mm. And there's this whole movement within, because, okay, I mean, on the one hand, I understand it that um, makeup artist has been, de has, as a profession, has been devalued a lot. Rates are all over the place. Um, people are feeling disrespected, like, it's, like we're an afterthought, all these kind of things. I get it. But on the other hand, are these people worth paying for? And I tell a lot of times, my students, what have you, it's nothing personal. You just haven't proven that you're worth paying for yet. So you don't need to worry about the logo and the color scheme and the this and the that and the social media presence and all this type of thing. You need to worry about your craft, first and foremost. Then, because see, the thing is that I tell my students that hurts their feelings, my first real job because, and the, way, the reason I throw the word real in there is my first jobs were kind of the early death row music videos. <laughs> you want some stories? Yeah, no. got those. Uh -huh. We do. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. But my first real job was an advertisement um, back when they used to make industrials, which do, do industrials still exist? I don't know, are they still a thing? Do. I don't know. But anyway, I did an industrial for Mercedes-Benz. And this was back again, you know, I took my Tyrannosaurus Rex to the set because it's back when dinosaurs were on the <laughs> earth. And I got paid $600 a day, clear back then. That was my first job. When you develop a strong body of work, you will not have a hard time getting paid. I think a lot of people are desperate to work for like $50 a face because they don't have a strong body of worth that work that says I am worth paying. And it's because the, the part of the thing that I hate about the industry more than life itself is this whole focus on the style entrepreneur and mm. running your business and all this stuff. And of course it's important, okay? It has its place. And I, I, and I have taught a business of makeup class. I'm not opposed to that, but I think that you, you know, if you're not even up to that, it's like, <laughs> and I know you'll feel me on this. Mm. It's like these picture, these people that got their little Canon EOS, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're not even shooting manual. They're using one of the preset buttons, mm -hmm. running around talking about their photographer. And some of them have 50,000 followers. And a lot of them have 50,000 followers. <laughs> and, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's just, you're, you're just focusing on the wrong thing. And, I, and again, when I talk about the tension that you can feel in the industry, that's one of the tension points you can really feel, is a lot of these people are beauty experts. Mm. Based on what? 
Do, really? <laughs> a few self pictures of yourself doing makeup on yourself is not, is not a thing. Like, that's just straight up not a thing. And that's where it, it gets into that, as a makeup artist, I get annoyed with beauty influencers. I try to check myself, but it's like, okay, but for real, though, that's not a thing. So if you want to be a media makeup artist, you need to drop that attitude and really learn your craft because it's a, it's, it's a real thing. And, uh, yeah, gosh. <laughs> I, could, I could go on. But I shall, I shall stop that. <laughs> well, I kind of want to push it now. Okay. Because <laughs> there's certain trends that occur because of social media, right? <laughs> I think, I think Tony died. <laughs> so bad. I don't even know where to go with that. So I'm bad. Like, I mean, what's, what's with the current eyebrow trends? Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I love a groomed brow. Mm -hmm. And if you look at my work, you'll especially my, because it's important to stay current. Mm -hmm. And I will say that old makeup artists, if they don't like put effort into at least observing the trends, observing what's new with products, all that type of stuff, sure, your work will totally look dated and that's no good. Okay, fine. However, the mustard has totally fallen off the hot dog with this ridiculous brow situation. I was showing uh, one of my, uh, I was working in-house in photo studio today and I was showing one of the fellow makeup artists there, this girl, pretty girl with just absolute Groucho Mark brows. It was bananas. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what to say about that trend. It's bananas, it's, uh, you know, because it's 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 kind of similar to the highlight contour that seemingly will never die <laughs> which is yes this is a technique of makeup sure that has its time and its place when done properly and appropriately for what it is that you're doing but then since everything on uh makeup for social media is at an 11 all the time right. it's like all the things all the time all at once and so it took this per the perfectly good, natural, groomed brow and just gone off into the twilight zone. <laughs> so I actually don't know which brow trend you mean because there's a couple of bad ones. There's the, the, the faded brow that's really filled in within an inch of its life. And I think that's kind of giving way. So now you're seeing the more brushed brow, yeah. Groucho Marx. Uh, actually, both of those. To yeah, be they're just like. Because it's to me, it's just. It's like we were just de getting done with, and I don't even know makeup, but we had the over, overly plucked eyebrow. Yes. And then that kind of morphed into this, mm -hmm. which is wildness. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's oh. nothing. It's totally away from natural. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Like a and natural a, brow is beautiful. A gorgeous natural brow that's just well-groomed. Because that did used to drive me crazy when I'd have a student and they did this otherwise very nice makeup <clears throat> and come to me and tell me, okay, I'm finished with this application. And I look at it and they didn't do anything to the brows. And I'm like, what planet is this that you're finished? Like this, <laughs> no, you can't just skip over the brows. Um, so I get that. But then it just went into this extreme, 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 extreme of you couldn't have one hair in place and you and the line had to be perfect and it, mm -hmm. it's like nobody's brow looks like that. 
So I think this new bushy brow with the gelled up is a reaction against that really the perfect line, you know, uh, they call it concealer brows because you actually use concealer to go around the line to make it really sharp, which obviously looks ridiculous because now you have concealer around your eyebrows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a good look. So yeah, I mean, again, all these kind of beauty extremes probably won't come up for most working media makeup artists. Um, there are, of course, exceptions, especially if you go into like fashion and you, because it started, actually, if I think about it, that brushed brow thing that's happening now actually started with a fashion show, and I remember that show. And it was amazing in the context of that show. Right. But then you take it out of context and you start going to the extreme with it, and now it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, borderline yeah. spooky. Yeah. yeah. Never thought I'd have an opinion on makeup. Huh? See, look at that. But as a photographer, you do. I do. Well, and it's it's you know just going out in public, I <laughs> I look at everybody mm-hmm. like oh I would want to shoot them like this with this kind of light. Pretty much everybody. That's my I don't know why mm-hmm. I can't turn it off. But then I go to Starbucks and it I don't know what that is happening. It it just affects. I'm like I. Don't want to shoot that. <laughs> I don't want to shoot that. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm on Instagram and I'm going through and there's people showing off these. Uh, I don't even know what to call it. They're just it's big. Yeah. No, it's it's real deep out there, and that actually brings to mind a point I tell uh, students a lot of times is um, you can like whatever you want. That it, on your own private time you can do every Instagram fully wang nonsense thing that comes to mind. And you can do them all at once and, and just kill it. However, you have to, if you're saying that you want to work as a makeup artist, you have to bear in mind what decision makers who could potentially hire you want to see. So if you're a photographer, right, and yeah. you work with hair and makeup, and you're telling me that the girl in Starbucks brows scared you so badly that you had to run out before you could even get your drink, that's no good. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a good thing. That's not what you want. That's not the reaction you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not good. Uh, yeah, have you had a crazy time on set? Should I've night? had a lot of crazy times on set and set related. Um, probably one of the crazier, well, I let's just say that I worked on a lot of the early death row uh, music videos. Um, so I worked on some of Snoop. In fact, I, was that his very first music video? Uh, I think I worked on Snoop's very first music video. Worked on Warren G's music videos. All this type of a thing. Um, probably the most infamous story of that time, though, was not actually on the job itself, but me trying to get paid for the job. Um, they owed me several invoices, and I think I made like $300 a music video back then, which back then, back then is way back then, and that was a significant amount of money for me that I, I needed to live my life. So I decided that I would go down to the death row offices to get my money, and you know, it's interesting because I grew up kind of nothing like that. I grew up in a nice little you know, middle class, little family, and you know, we all went to college, and you know, the whole thing. So I was not in any way hard. Um, And 
I, I heard stories after the fact that when I look back on it, I was like, God, what was I thinking? <laughs> what was I, I was not, I was not thinking. So I get to their, uh, Death Row was well, very well known for the fact that they were in the Interscope Records offices, but they were very much sequestered in their own unidentified, there wasn't even any signage or anything on the door, little corner. Uh, they did not interface with the other nice people with Interscope Records. So I go in there, and uh, I explained who I was and why I was there. And the receptionist said to somebody on the phone, there's a bitch here who says we owe her some money. And I was like, oh. But I still smiled. But I don't know if she said I was, thought I was going to leave after she said that. I did not. I still stood there and smiled pleasantly. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's true. I'm here because <laughs> you owe me money. And um, it was, I looked around, and everybody looked kind of like, and I noticed that every single person that I saw, including that receptionist girl, had a gun. Every single person there. And I was like, OK, this is not uh, my lifestyle. But anyway, they owe me 900 bucks, and I need the money. So let's just really, I'm just going to stand here. And uh, after a while, because I didn't really even know who was going to come out, because I didn't know who she was talking to, but Mr. Knight came out himself. And he is huge. That is yeah. a huge man. Um, and he came up to me and he's like, well, I hear we owe you some money. And I was like, yes. And I had my little copies of my invoices with me and the whole thing. I'm you know, all professional in business. Like, and, and he's like, so how much is it? And I was like, oh, it's $900. And he pulled out a massive wad <laughs> of cash <laughs> and counted out $2,500 and said, sorry, you had to come down here. Whoa. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Go me. Yeah. <laughs> a little tip in there. Well, yeah, there you go. And, uh, and that whole scene was pretty crazy. I remember doing another music video, and this uh, big-name producer of that time who could be considered a rival of Death Row, shall we say. Um, Worked on one of his music videos, and he was like, hey, you did really great work. And he handed me $500 cash tip like he was handing somebody a $5 bill, mm -hmm. like you and I would hand somebody a $5 bill. Like, you could just tell his whole demeanor was like it was nothing mm -hmm. to him. Mm -hmm. And it was something to me, and I was very happy about that. That's great. Uh, yeah, it was great. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, most, I guess most of my crazy stories definitely come from music video world, because, like I said, they're <laughs> There's a finite amount of time that you can really do them. Um, they're usually really intense shooting situations, and they're crazy. Yeah. But they're fun. That's great. Yeah. And good stories. Yep. Yep. Toxic, I got yelled on. That's another story Aww. I can tell. Talk well, I didn't directly. The, um, so I was on the team. I was not the lead artist for that, which is the case for most of the music videos I worked on. Because I didn't, I never worked on any like mid-level or small music videos. I always, you know, just as luck would have it, I worked on these massive, iconic, you know, music videos. And um, so I worked on Britney Spears' Toxic. And uh, I presumably they had a production meeting with the the key artist because she had like notes and you know the whole Johnson. And we did the makeup that she did the makeup that they thought she thought they were talking about. So we take our girls on set. We were not doing Britney. Uh, the great and powerful Fran Cooper did Britney, which we'll get back to that story in a minute. Um, we were doing everybody else who wasn't Britney, basically. 
and uh, take our girls on set. What they want, what they said, I guess, in the meeting was like a, they wanted like a 60s kind of look because we're supposed to be like, this is the airplane scene where the stewardesses are, are walking the aisle. And um, totally, the producer went off, mm. off, off, completely off on my uh, department head. And um, then looks at the girl I did and said, well, who did that? Because that's what I wanted, not this other garbage you brought out. Mm. And <laughs> needless mm. to say, I did not say, me! Yeah. <laughs> OK, please learn that, young makeup artist. Do not ever show up your key. I wouldn't have been on the job if it weren't for her. My job as an assistant is to make my key look good. So I didn't say anything. And uh, the key artist on it was like, well, one of the assistants did it. Is that what you would like, basically? Yeah. So it ended up being fine, which is good, because there was a massive injury on that shoot. So it was supposed to be a two-day shoot, ended up being a three-day shoot. Guy's OK. He was fine, okay. ultimately. Um, uh, but I guess one of the grips fell off a of scaffolding, mm. letting some, some off. So it was a pretty serious injury. And that meant that all the roles shifted. So like I said, the great and powerful Fran Cooper was doing Britney's makeup. But uh, the hairstylist, Laurent D, couldn't stay on this third day because we were shooting right before Christmas. And he was flying back to France. So my key got moved onto Britney's trailer. And I got moved into doing all the key people who were doing Britney. And, and this is why I bring this story up, uh, A, well, two thing, crazy things happened on that shoot. First of all, I have never in my life, once ever in my life, said I cut hair ever, once ever, have I said this out of my mouth. <laughs> and Laurent D looked at my hair, because there was, Brittany has this one scene where she has this very brightly dyed wig that's cut a very specific way. And at that time, I was wearing my hair fire engine red. And he looked at me, and he goes, well, who did your hair? And I'm like, well, I did it. You did it yourself? Yeah, I did it at home. Great, because I need you to cut and dye this wig to match Britney's wig. I'm, I'm sorry? <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, I'm going to show you how to do a razor cut, and then I need you to match the cut exactly and dye and cut this wig. OK, great. So here's how you go. Ke -ke 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 -ke. OK, great. Good. What? <laughs> So that ended up working out perfectly. My wig made it into the final version of the video. And, <laughs> and then the other crazy thing was when everything switched around, um, I got moved on to assist Fran. There, you know, I don't know if you remember the video, but there's that one scene where she's supposed to look like she's naked and she's covered all in crystals. And I was on Team Crystal. So oh. there was oh, like me. Boom. Up close and personal with Brittany, applying crystals <laughs> applying all crystals. over her body. Yep. <laughs> good times, good times. Yeah, you really have to do everything when you're an artist. Yeah, there's no telling what could possibly come up. I just, I remembered I got moved into one scene because uh, my key doesn't do special effects. And me having that background yeah. with the dinosaurs, I can do, I can still do minor special effects and character stuff. and. Um, yeah, so I got moved on to this one scene because they wanted a minor special effect. And um, I ended up doing the wig. And I ended up having to do two wigs, actually. But the other one was really easy. It just had to dye it black. Um, and just all types of stuff. You have to be ready. And I really like that. And I know that that's a personality thing, that not everybody can handle that kind of fast pace and can handle that kind of change and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I really dig it, for the most part. And so that was a good gig. I dug it. 
It was yeah, fun. That's cool. That's an amazing story. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk about skincare lines and uh, makeup companies that claim they have every skin tone out there when they do not? Yes. Uh, I would have to throw that into, again, another major pet peeve. Um, you know, particularly being a person of color and being the color that I am, it's I have been personally affected by that a lot. Now, being a makeup artist, it didn't matter so much because the pro brands have always had a good color range. Um, William Tuttle designed his line clear back, and he was the studio department head for, was it MGM? back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. So he started his line clear back in like the 40s and 50s. This is why when people start crying to me in 2018 about they don't have a color for XYZ, I'm like, what are you done? Because these colors have been around since forever. So there was a very known, well-known brand that posted their little Instagram ad up mm -hmm. that said 22 shades for all skin tones. And it was literally 19 shades of beige. And then these three little weird brown colors that I guess we're supposed to do something. <laughs> and what was bizarre about that, I mean, needless to say, people went completely off. A friend of mine who's a very well-known celebrity makeup artist, so I won't throw her name into it, but she went entirely off because almost all of her clientele are people of color. So she was just like, I mean, this is, you know, you're kidding me with this. And uh, she was quite vocal, so that was good. A lot of fashion artists were like, you know, um, but I also pointed out to them, and I actually got feedback from them, that, you know what, I couldn't even use this on my fair skin clientele, though, because the colors are so beige. Mm -hmm. And people don't all come in this weird beige color that you've decided on. Not only is it not necessary to repeat basically the same color 19 times, mm -hmm. but it's just you didn't pick a good undertone, you know, Particularly in California, almost everybody tends to be more golden because we catch the sun, particularly in Southern California, but actually throughout California. Like California compared to like other parts of the country, we have much more gold in our tones and stuff. And I was just, it was flabbergasting. It was flabbergasting to me that this was a thing. This ad came out in 2017. It was, I, was, I was amazed that this was still a thing in 2017. And then that model Nikkor who is one of the gorgeous Sudanese models, just the super, super, super dark girl. She calls herself Blue Black. Um, she is so stunning. I mean, she is just fall down stunning. And her skin, one of the things about that beauty is the skin itself. It's like, it's, it's got this gorgeous, velvety, almost metallic overtone to it. You do not want to mess it up by putting some random, doesn't match color over it. And she was saying how at the fashion show, so many of the girls in her complexion have to bring their own product out of self-defense. And I think that's ridiculous in 2018. Um, now, there's levels to that, which I actually talked about on my blog, because uh, part of the problem is so many shows are sponsored by brands that don't necessarily have those colors. And artists aren't allowed to use anything other than the brand that's sponsoring the show. Um, stuff like that. But it's, but then my question is, well, then why are you picking a brand that doesn't have everything if you know that that's going to be a factor? Like, that doesn't pick a brand that has everything. Yeah, simple. Um, also, too, it comes up a lot with the natural brands, like the vegan and organic and all what have you. Uh, it's just kind of clear that it never occurred to them 
<laughs> that certain shades of people might buy their products. Mm. So it's getting better, but it's still just like there's this one brand, they only came out with six colors. So six colors isn't enough, period. Like human beings do not come in six colors. So that right, I don't even understand what that is right there. And then of course they had some like tired weird brown that was supposed to cover all, the entire spectrum of people of color. And it's not just black folks. I mean, it's like when I was teaching in San Francisco, I always had a lot of South Asian girls in my class and that's, a, the, they can run to very deep browns and also generally will have very completely different undertones from African-American skin tones. African skin tones uh, and undertones are different than African-American skin tones because they don't have as much miscegenation. Um, Caribbean skin tones are very different from African-American because I think that's part of the problem is people tend to just say black. And first of all, people of color are not all just black, <laughs> which is just like, okay. <laughs> and then second of all, even within the, uh, say, Africanized diaspora of, of skin tones, it can really vary depending on what part of the world people are, are from. So uh, brands just really need to do better on that. Fortunately, there are brands who are doing better. I have to shout out one of my cosmetic sponsors, Makeup Forever, has always been amazing for that. Um, like I think they have 42, 45 colors in their, on all of their foundations. Um, on the natural end, I found a couple of brands that are really doing, developing nice color range. Um, haven't tried them yet, so I don't know how good the actual formulation is yet, but at least they're like really expanding their color range. Uh, obviously, the one that brought everything to the forefront is Fenty, mm -hmm. um, which is funny because I got into I, it wasn't it didn't even make it all the way up to an argument, but I got into a discussion mm. with a young lady about she was because Makeup Forever came out with this ad that we've been doing this for a long time. This isn't new, and then people reacted against that because they didn't know the Makeup Forever brand, and mm. so I had to go in and tell her, well, actually, back in the '90s. I bought a foundation that they no longer make, which is sad, sad, mm -hmm. um, that matched me perfectly out the bottle uh, for Makeup Forever. So, uh, you know, so the Fenty thing is good because it kind of woke up the industry um, that you just really need to address this in a more serious manner and not to come out with 19 shades of beige and think that you're killing it because you're not. So how does an aspiring artist get started and what kind of advice would you give them? Well, there are so many ways that an aspiring artist can get started now. So I think probably step one is to really try and pinpoint what it is that you want to do and understand that the path of an influencer and all that stuff is really different from the path of a, of a media makeup artist. So I can only speak to being a media makeup artist since that's what I do. Um, no matter what it is you want to do, you are going to have to take the time to learn your craft the the industry will kind of naturally weed you out if you don't um what ends up happening is people just kind of hit a, a a threshold of a type of work that they can't get past until they get better um be realistic about what it is that you can do based on where you are i've known people that swore up and down that they wanted to do high fashion and they're in kentucky um not happening you know, the industry is not just going to change because you like fashion and you're in Kentucky. If you like fashion, you're on a plane. You're going to New York, and that's it. Um, 
and that and those types of things that you have to take in mind because like I do have one student who's doing amazingly well. Like she's with a major agency and she just had a cover of uh, French Glamour magazine and all what have you. And that is because she listened to me when I said that if you want to do this type of thing, you are going to be on a plane. You're going to be spending a lot of time in New York and hopefully over in Europe. So be realistic on on what it is that you want to do within the context of what you can do. Like if you're a mom in Kentucky with like two kids or whatever, jumping on a plane to go to to Paris is probably not going to jump off in your life. So what can you do in your market? There's probably more commercial work than you realize. You're probably not just looking at bridal, but you have to take the time to explore all that. So that'd be number one. Once you kind of get an idea of what it is you want to do, then you can start thinking about the taking the steps necessary to get there. So again, if you want to go into film and television, it's going to be a, a pretty different trajectory than if you want to go into print and what have you. Um, again, my specialty is more on the print side. Um, it just all boils down to that book and doing everything you can to develop the strongest book you possibly can. I know early on for me, and also too, I should have said this earlier, but can't let it go untouched. People are spending entirely too much time worrying about product and makeup and the new XYZ brand of eyeshadow palette and all these things that are kind of irrelevant. First of all, makeup should, you should rule your makeup. Makeup should not rule you because all makeup is just pigment. So you will decide what you want to do with that pigment and when and where. But um, aside from all that, <clears throat> people worry so much about the product. Um, they're just not asking the right questions. Like, you know what I mean? So a lot of my early breaks that I got were because I studied photography a lot. Once I decided, I did my little five minutes with film and said, OK, I hate film. I took the break and decided what I wanted to do. And then once I met up with my mentor and she was like, this is what you need to do, I took time to really study and not study photography the way a, a photographer studies photography. I don't mean that. But just looking at a lot of really high end, really top photographers, looking at who they work with, looking at what that person was doing. I remember going into, I had some errand that took me into the building where um, Cloutier and Celestine, I'm going to completely date myself right now. Cloutier and Celestine used to be one agency. So if you were a more junior artist, you were with Celestine. And once you got to be one of the more senior artists, you were with Cloutier. Tanya was not shy back in the day trying to get my career started. That's a big one. Don't be shy. It doesn't work. <laughs> so I was on this errand to go. I don't even remember what the errand was, literally. What I do remember is I just walked right in. I saw that Cloutier Celestine was there, and I just walked right in. And I go up to the guy at the reception desk, and um, I was like, I literally was here for something else, but I saw you guys were here, and I'm an inspiring makeup artist, and I just wanted to introduce myself, and I don't even know what I'm doing, really, beyond that. And he was like, OK, cool. Hang on a second. And he went and got two books. He got uh, Patrick Toomey's book, who was already, by that point, super duper established and doing massive celebrity and massive high-end fashion campaigns and all this stuff. And he's like, that's the goal, right? But here's where you should start. This is a book of an artist that we just signed, and we're her first agency. And that, I cannot tell you what that did for me. You have to study these things to know where it is that you're trying to go. 
You can't just guess. And especially nowadays with social media, I see a lot of people doing what I call bedroom DJing. They don't actually play out in front of anybody, so they never get any feedback on what it is that they're doing. They're just kind of playing for themselves in their bedroom and their headphones. And that does not work. At a certain point, you've got to go out in the larger community and see what the response is to my work. And so my mentor, which I'm going to go ahead and mention her name. I know I've said my mentor about 50,000 times. But her name is Crystal Wright. She's been in the game for a million years. And when I first emailed her way back when with some of the most tragic pictures you've ever seen in your life, <laughs> she said to me, OK, look, these pictures are, are tragic. However, I can see your talent. This is what you need to do. So instead of getting focused on, oh, she didn't like my pictures, mm -hmm. I focused on, OK, she said I was talented. I just need better pictures. So you got to get that kind of feedback in order to really to really get started. You can't just like do pic do makeup on yourself or on your friends and put pictures on social media and think that that's making you a, a makeup artist. You have to go ahead and take that leap of faith and no one loves it. No one loves getting rejected. No one loves being told that their stuff isn't great and all what have you, but you got to do it because you will that is when you start to make quantum leaps. Like when Crystal first rejected me, and I had to go back and test more, that was a quantum leap. And then when Dude Bro, which I wish I remembered his name, but I don't, when Dude Bro at Celestine showed me that girl's book, which I don't remember who it was, I'd be interested to know, because I should look and see if I still had that promo card he gave me, so, because I'm sure that her career went on great. That was a quantum leap. You know, all those things are like how you can really turn it from I like makeup, and people have said that I'm good at it, to really making it into a career. And I, that's, I think I'm old school in certain ways, but I just, because the people who are hiring you are old school. And that's another thing that people don't grasp. Like agents and stuff, they still like seeing books. They like seeing printed images. They, they, they are old school in a lot of ways. Now, we've all been forced to modernize, but it's like, being able to speak their language and know what they're seeing when they see your work and when they see you is really, 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 really crucial. And I got a lot of my early breaks because the caliber of my photography was more was better than a lot of times people saw with an artist of that level. Um, the caliber of the models was better. Like a lot of times, you know. Sure, my makeup was fine, but it was my presentation and the overall thing. And that I grasped that it was about the overall thing, not just my individual makeup. That really made a difference. So I think if you're going to go into media makeup, you really need to understand media. And you need to understand the whole process of how it works. So that would be my advice to get yes. started. That was amazing. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> yeah. Do you have anything else? And don't take no for an answer. No Do not take no for an answer. I had people, I remember going to this, making an appointment to go to this one agency to meet a, a modeling agency to try and get girls to test with. And they, I don't know if they purposely sent me to the wrong address, but I'm pretty sure they purposely sent me to the wrong address. Oh. So I go up there and it's a men's modeling agency. And he's like, no, they haven't been lived here. <clears throat> they haven't been here in like a year. We took over this lease a year ago. And I was like, oh, really? Well, do you know where they went? <laughs> and he's like, sure, hey, let's call them. Do, 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 do. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm up here at Blue Modeling Agency, and you know, me and that guy stayed friends forever. Um, but anyway, I'm up here at Blue Modeling Agency, and uh, they told me you moved. Where did you go? Because I had a meeting with you guys. Yep. Nice. Ended up working with that agency for years and years. Like, I just don't take no for an answer. That's nope, great. nope, nope. 
Tanya, thank you so much for being with us here today. We love you, we appreciate you, your talent, your personality. There's no one like you in this industry. And we're so happy we met you and we're so happy you're on our show today. Yeah, well, yay, thank you so much for having moi. That's awesome, thank you. Yes. Yay! On that note. <laughs> on that note, yay hugs. <laughs> Cross the thing, Cross hugs. The thing. Yay! <laughs> awesome.